Open your Bibles, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Uh, we're continuing what we talked about last week. Guys, I, I don't know if you can get it or not. That's, if not, that's okay. Um, you don't have an outline tonight because it's the same outline I gave you last week. That's the reason I don't have anything new. So pull out that old outline from last week. And we're going to finish uh, what we talked about. Revelation chapter 5. Thank you all for helping with that. I appreciate that very much. Last week we talked about the, the dramatic... Thank you very much. I'm afraid to touch it. <laughs> just bring it over here just a little bit more. Okay. All right. Last week we talked about the dramatic emphasis on the scroll that was in the right hand of God. Revelation chapter 5 begins with this drama, if you will. And, and let's just remind ourselves what it says, Revelation 5, 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And remember in chapter 4, it talks about the one who sits on the throne. That God was the Father is sitting on the throne. That's Revelation chapter 4. And then in chapter 5 it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And we talked a little bit about what, what might be on those scrolls or that scroll. We said that there's probably two strong possibilities. You might even be able to merge these two possibilities in, into one. But one possibility is that this is the title deed of all creation. That Jesus as our kinsman redeemer... Uh, will regain for us what Adam lost, that, that he's, going to conquer, he's going to conquer our enemy and regain for us, reclaim for us what Adam lost, that maybe that's what's on the scroll. The second possibility that we talked about last week is that that scroll perhaps is God's plan for carrying out the final judgment against Satan and this world, that you could consider those, that scroll the judgment scroll, if you will, Remember, beginning in chapter 6, each seal is opened. And when each seal is opened, God's judgments on this world are carried out. So that's a strong possibility that the scroll in the hand of the one on the throne is actually the scroll depicting, if you will, the judgments that are to come. Then we said last week when we went beyond that, looking at verses 2 through 4, we talked about the tragic weakness of civilization. That no one, no one in, in all history was worthy to open the, the scroll. Look, look with me, just scanning it quickly, verse 3 and 4. Well, let's start in verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or, or even... Look inside, and John said, this is John speaking, he says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to, to open the scroll or look inside. And then in verse 5, after we talked about the tragic weakness of civilization, there was no one that was worthy to do this. In chapter 5, we, or verse 5 rather, we talked about the, the worthiness, worthiness of Christ. In verse 5 it says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has what? Triumphed, past tense. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Has triumphed. 
And we talked about this for a little bit, that that's signifying that Jesus Christ is in control. Whatever's going to happen in this world, Jesus Christ is in control. He has triumphed. And whatever's going to unfold, beginning in chapter 6 and beyond, that Jesus Christ is in control, and only Jesus is worthy to set in motion the events that will take place at the end of the world. Now, that's where we were uh, last Sunday. Now we pick up uh, number 3, I believe it is on your outline, if you have your outline with you. God's people in all creation join their voices to declare that Christ, the Lamb, is worthy. Do you understand that that's what worship is? Worship is, is, is not so much about the style of music. In fact, worship has very little to do, well, I shouldn't say very little to do with music, but, but worship has, has as its focus, it's not the style of music or, or how we do that. Worship at, at its very uh, focus declares the worthship of the one we are celebrating. And that's what we see in the rest of chapter 5. Notice this. I, I've got three points there on your outline I want you to see. I want you to notice, first of all, the focus of worship is the Savior. The focus of worship is the Savior. The, the center of all that transpires in this chapter is Jesus. Let, let's look beginning in verse 6. There's so much in this verse, verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the, the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, I'm going to try to depict for you, John begins to paint a picture, if you will, for us. and, and Or you might even use the, the, the analogy of of a camera starting in a narrow focus and then pulling out and then pulling out some more and then pulling out some more. John begins with a very narrow focus and then he pulls out the camera a little bit further and you'll see in a moment and then out more and then out more. So I'm going to try as best I can to depict that for you. I want you to notice that he's, he says in, in verse 6, I saw at the middle of all of this a lamb and he describes the lamb in what way? Looking as what? Looking as if it had been slain. Now, what do you suppose that is a reference to? Exactly, to the cross. And then he describes something else. Look at verse 6. It's kind of symbolic language and almost hard to understand, but boy, is it powerful. Then I saw a lamb, verse 6, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He, had seven, he, the lamb, had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits. Now, now, understand what he's talking about here. Seven horns represents his power. Remember, seven is the number of completion. And seven, horn, seven horns represents power. He has all power. And then under that, what was the next one? Seven what? Seven eyes. He can see everything. He has all knowledge. And then he's described in one other, there's one other seven. What is it? Seven spirits. The seven spirits is a way of, I believe, of referring to the Holy Spirit because according to Zechariah, there's a sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and so here's the lamb who has all power, all knowledge, and, and has the, the work of the Holy Spirit carrying out his work. Now, carry that on. He said he's surrounded by something. What is he surrounded by? As we, we go from the lamb, we pull the camera back a little bit. He's surrounded by something. What's the first thing mentioned? What? All right, so surround this lamb at the center of the throne is surrounded by four living creatures. We said in Revelation chapter 4, when we were in chapter 4, that the four living creatures, chapter 4, verse 6, uh, really is, is angelic beings that guard the throne of God and lead in worship. These four living creatures are appointed angelic beings to guard the throne of God and to lead in worship. Don't forget that one. And to lead in worship. All right, so John pulls the camera back. Here's the, the lamb looking as if he'd been slain. He pulls the camera back and he says, and I saw four living creatures. And then he says, and then I saw something else. What was the next thing that he saw? What was it? The elders. Anybody remember who the elders represent? Say that a little louder. Yes, the 24 elders, Revelation chapter 4, represents the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, I believe representing all of God's redeemed humanity. So, so you could say the elders representing all the redeemed of humanity. And then I believe there's one other circle, is there not? Let's go, let's keep reading, you'll see. Verse 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if he'd been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came, the lamb, he came and took the scroll from the right hand of God who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Verse 11, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. And notice this. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. So we have angels encircling the throne. John pulls the camera back, and he said there were angels, and he tries to number them. And he, and he basically is saying they're, they're really in, you can't number them. and they're, they're, It's beyond the, the ability to count. They're ten thousands upon ten thousands, and just a way of saying uh, there's more than you could count. Keep reading the camera. He'll pull the camera back one more time. Verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So John said, not only did I see the elders and the angels, these, I didn't write that in, the angels, I've run out of room. He said, but there's also, there's also one more, and that is all the creatures. That, that's just everybody else. Remember in Philippians that, that the Apostle Paul said, and there will come a time when every knee will bow, will bow. Every tongue will confess. 
that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. I believe that's that last section. All the creatures, everybody else. So, notice this worship. The lamb on the throne, looking as if he had been slain. Four living creatures around that, surrounding the throne. Then the elders, then the angels, then everybody else. And at the heart of it all is this lamb who looks like he's been slain. Now, that is so intriguing to me. Why do you suppose he looks as if he's been slain? What, what, what is that? Any ideas? Well, what is it that makes him look as if he's been slain? Is that a possibility that, that Jesus in his glorified body still has the scars from the cross? Huh? Exactly. Look, let me give you two scriptures real quick. Uh, let's do this side against this side. Bible drill time. All right? This side, now you don't have to jump up and read it. Just get ready, okay? This side, Luke 24, 36 through 40. Luke 24, 36 through 40. This side, John 20, 26 through 28. John 20, 26 through 28. All right, I need somebody on this side to stand up and read for me in a loud voice, Luke 24, 36 through 40. Somebody's not going to do it, so anybody do it. All right. Yeah, do you need me to hold it over here? What did it say? I didn't catch the very first part. Did it say in this scripture that the door was closed or that he came through the room or something like that? What did it say in the very first part? While they were still talking. Okay, but, but understand this. This was his glorified body after the resurrection, post-resurrection, his glorified body. And he says, and, and they think that it's a ghost because it's his glorified body. But he says, but look at my hands and my feet. So in his glorified body, in this situation, he had the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. But the most telling of all is in John chapter 20 that, that you all mentioned earlier. John chapter 20, verse 26 and 28. Somebody read that one for me. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. That's the scripture that says, though the doors were locked, though the doors were locked, Jesus appeared to them. He had his glorified body. It was different from our bodies. It's not limited anymore like our bodies is limited. And he appeared to them in this room, and yet in his glorified body, he still had the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. I believe that for all of eternity, Jesus will be the lamb looking as if he had been slain. 
for all of eternity, there will be this reminder that the only reason we are in heaven with him is because he is our lamb, slain for our sins. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be one of the things that fuels our worship. That's going to be one of the things that gives us voice. It's because we will never be able to get our eyes off of the Lamb looking as if He had been slain for us, still bearing the marks in His body. Yes. It's a good question. But but remembering John's gospel, as he opens the story of Jesus in John's gospel, as Jesus is walking towards him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John is signifying here, this is the one that I saw back on the banks of the Jordan River. This is the one, the one on the throne. It's the one I saw back then. The Lamb of God, the one who is our sacrifice. And so I believe that's the reason he describes him as a lamb because Jesus will always be in heaven. He will always be seen as our sacrifice, our substitute. I think that will be a little clearer to you as we we read this. Look at it again, beginning in verse 6. I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders, and had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, that's us, I believe, the representative of all, all the redeemed, look what happened. Fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. Now, watch this, Donna. Here's the song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Isn't that beautiful? Reminds me of Peter when he wrote, For you were not redeemed from the traditions of your past, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Now, um, would you just, I don't want to get too much on this, but would you just notice, look at my awful diagram here. I know it it just looks, it's not very pretty. But but would you just notice, even on this diagram, What is the center of worship? Jesus, the Lamb. What do you suppose ought to be the center of our worship on Sundays or whenever we gather? Yeah. Let me say it a little bit more directly. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not singing about ourselves when we come to worship. We're singing about our Savior. We're not singing just what we like. We're singing to the one who is worthy to be praised. Now, I tell this story. I've debated all, all afternoon if I should tell it or not, but I'm going to go ahead. I, I, I tell this story. You know where I'm going, don't you? You've been in that class enough. I tell this story in Discover Mount Airy. Every time I teach Discover Mount Airy, I tell this story. It's a true story. 
There's a pastor in, in Greenville, uh, South Carolina. I could tell you the church, a rather good size, rather large church. And I could tell you the church, you'd know it instantly. He told me that one Sunday after church, <laughs> Dave, he had a little old lady come to him and said, Preacher, I didn't like that song we sang. You know her. <laughs> now, I'm not, trying to get, I'm not trying to cause any trouble. I'm not trying to get anybody upset or offended. All I'm doing is telling you a story, okay? Anyway, this little, this little old lady came up to the pastor and said, Preacher, I didn't like that song we sang today. To which he said to her, I am so sorry. I need to apologize to you. I didn't realize we were singing to you. Because he's not there anymore. He had to leave that church. I'm serious. He eventually had to leave that church. But did he get it right? Look at here. Look here. With the heart of a pastor, let me tell you something. We are not singing to you. We are singing to the Savior. Now, if you can express your praise in hymns, that's wonderful. If you can express your praise with a band, that's wonderful. If you can express your praise in some other way, that's wonderful. I don't care how you express it. Just understand, we are singing to the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. Worship, I'll just say it this way. Worship is not for us, and it's not about us. It's for Him and about Him. Amen? Now, since, since we're talking about how we sing and all that, uh, remember, worship means to as, ascribe worth. There's an old hymn we used to sing, and I, I probably sometimes we still do. It was written in 1851, written by Matthew Bridges. And Matthew Bridges wrote this song based on the imagery that he saw in Revelation 5. Beautiful song, beautiful hymn. Here's what it says. Look at my diagram as you listen to it. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for me. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of life who triumphed o'er the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring and, li and lives that death may die. And in good Baptist tradition, we'll do first, second, and fourth. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, what is he talking about? <laughs> fourth stanza. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands. Look, listen. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Those wounds yet visible above. In beauty glorified. All hell, Redeemer hell. For thou hast died for me. Thy praise and glory shall not fail. Throughout eternity. Worship is not for you, nor is it about you. 
Worship is for the Lamb who was slain for you. Worship is about the Lamb who was slain for you. Which brings me to point number two. By the way, don't worry about not getting out early. Don't worry about getting out at 6.45. I moved my watch back 15 minutes, so we'll be fine. The, ex- the expression of worship is singing. Now, I expect to get some amens over on this side here in just a minute. The expression of worship is singing. It's so evident when you look in the scripture and when you look, read this chapter over and over, it's so evident how much singing is taking place. Now, now let me tell you something. Singing is not the only way to worship, but it sure is a good way. And it appears to be how we're going to be worshiping in heaven. Look in verse 9, verse 12, and verse 13. Verse 9. And they sang... A new song. Look at verse 12. In a loud voice, they sang. Look at verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and and on the sea and all that is in them singing. So, it appears to me that when we're in heaven and we're going to be worshiping the Lamb, one of the things we're going to be doing... We're going to be singing our worship. Something beautiful about that. And if you'll notice in the, in the first time, what is it, verse 9, it says, and they sang what kind of a song? Somebody tell me, what kind of song? A new song. That phrase, a new song, is used nine times in the Bible. Old and New Testament together, it's used nine times. If you want to write that down somewhere, I'll tell you where they are. Six times it's used in Psalms, once in Isaiah, and twice in Revelation. In the Old Testament especially, a new song, let me explain to you what that new song was. A new song celebrated a new act of of divine deliverance or a new act of blessing. In other words, especially in the Old Testament, when... When God did something to deliver his people, it brought out of their heart a new song. Or when God blessed them in a very special way, it brought out of their heart a, a new song. It, the, the new song was, some, was kind of a response to what God had done for them. So it says that in heaven, we're going to be singing a, a new song in response to God's goodness. It's going to just flow out of our hearts. When we see the Lamb sitting on the throne, looking as if he had been slain, with the wounds still in his hands and in his feet. I believe we won't have to say, I don't know that song. Could you put the words up on the screen for me? Can you give me a hymnal? I don't think we'll have to do that. Because I think the new song's going to come out of our heart and not just out of our mouth. Does that make sense? Well, let me go on. Uh, It's so beautiful. Let's just look at what they were singing. We won't take long here. First of all, they were singing a worship song. They were singing, you are worthy, verse 9. You are worthy. 
to take the scroll and open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood you were you purchased men. It was a gospel song as well because they were singing about the fact that with your blood you purchased men for, for God. And I love this from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's why we go to all the countries of the world. That's why we take the gospel to the dark places of the world. Because one day they're going to be part of this tribe right here. One day they're going to be part of this group and they're going to be singing praises to the Lord from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. In verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They, they encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. And they're singing to him who sits on, notice that, they're singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the the fourth time you've seen the word Lamb in chapter 5. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Which brings me now to the last point on your notes. The outcome of worship. The outcome of worship, if it's truly worship, is submission. Look at verse 14. The four living creatures said, everybody said, four living creatures said, okay, now we need to work on that. You're going to say it in heaven. Let's practice while you're here on earth. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pretend. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being critical and I'm not nothing. I want you to pretend you're at a ball game. And I want you to pretend that your team just scored the winning touchdown to win the national championship, whatever team your team is. And in celebration, instead of saying yay, in celebration like good Baptists, you get up and say, Amen. All right? So here's what we're going to Let's try that. So your team just wins the national championship. Now all of a sudden, the stadium erupts, and the whole stadium says, yeah. Now we're getting somewhere. Let's take it up a notch even beyond that. Because I'm going to tell you something. This is far greater than the national championship. And so, when you're part of heaven, and the four living creatures start leading in worship, and they get to, to the... Have you ever heard the Handel's Hallelujah Chorus? Well, when you get to the end of that, you want to say something, don't you? And so, now, let's picture worship in heaven. You're, you're in the presence of God Himself. You see the Lamb looking as if He's been slain. He still has the, hand, or the nail prints in His hands and in His feet. You recognize the only reason I'm here is because of Him. And you've, you've heard all of this angelic worship, and it's just reverberating throughout heaven, and they get to the end of it, and the four living creatures said, Okay, folks, get ready. Here it comes. Now you say it like you'd say it up there. And one, two, three. I'd love to hear that every Sunday. But you know what? Listen, listen, it won't be because of what I said. We say amen because of what he did. 
But imagine, imagine that, that amen echoing through heaven. And suddenly, it says, the four living creatures said amen, and the elders, that's either you know, the 12 tribes and, and the 12 apostles, or it could be representative perhaps of us, uh, and the elders, let's say us, fell down and worshipped. Pa- Pasquee, I thought we were already worshipping. I thought all that singing, we were worshipping. We were expressing our worship, but true worship is when I submit myself and I acknowledge that it's more than something coming out of my voice, it's something coming out of my total being. And when they said amen, they fell, the elders fell down and worshipped. Why do you suppose Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 are where they are in Scripture? Because when you get to chapter 6, things get scary. When you get to chapter 6, things get ominous. But, but let, let me tell you something. If you understand chapter 4 and chapter 5, suddenly the future doesn't look quite as ominous and it doesn't look quite as scary. John and us have been prepared as we look at Revelation 4 and 5. We've been prepared so that we'll not be totally overwhelmed by the nature of what is about to happen on planet earth. You don't need to wring your hands in worry about what is going to happen on planet earth because you know the one who is sitting on the throne of God. Amen? See, y'all already forgot how to do that. Let's, let's, seriously, let's just worship him in prayer. Would you join me as we pray? Father, you are so good. And to think that this lamb, and we talked about it last week, this lamb, that, that tender word that represents a, a precious lamb, precious to you. But in heaven, he looks as if he's been slain, bearing the marks as our sacrifice. God, I pray that in our worship, we'll recognize that worship is not for us, and it's not about us, but it's for our Savior. It is about Him. And may we in our spirits or perhaps even in our bodies bow down and worship. Thank you for reminding us that when we begin to turn the page and we get to chapter 6, we don't need to fear. Thank you for reminding us that you are in control. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.